In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I remember when visiting Greece many years ago, that I met a very pious priest from an area which had a very holy bishop. And this bishop in Florida, and he's now about 105 years old, but he's obviously not a bishop anymore because he's sick, but he's not an active bishop. What I did learn from that diocese is that they believed a lot in education, not secular education as such, but in spiritual education. So in whatever service they would do, they would always make, the bishop would always say to his priest, you must give a little talk, whether it's baptism, whether it's marriage, whether it's holy unction, whether it's liturgy, any holy water, and explain to the Christians, to the Orthodox Christians, what are these services all about. So education is very, very important as Orthodox Christians to know because ignorance really is very dangerous. When we have ignorance of those things of the church, we could lose our souls. Now, I'll repeat that because some of you might not be able to uh, grasp it. As a priest, and as you speak to many priests, you'll come across many who will say that a lot of Orthodox Christians today swim in ignorance. They do not know the things of their faith. For example, many don't read the Gospels. Now, today we heard seven readings from the Gospels and seven readings from the Epistles, from the New Testament, both from the New Testament. And I would pretty much say that some of you, as you were listening to these readings, would not understand a lot of it, which is fair enough. I would say that I don't understand a lot of it too. But I've noticed that as time goes on, the more we read the Gospels, the more we read the Epistles, the more we read the books of the Holy Orthodox Church, the more enlightened we become. And the more enlightened we become, then we are in a better position to attain salvation of our souls. On the last day, when we all stand before Christ at, 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 on the last judgment, what's going to really put us down, apart from those of other faiths, who a lot of times we say, oh, they're not even orthodox and they're not as good as us, etc., etc., they haven't got the truth. Apart from the fact that a lot of them who don't have the truth but led their lives in a way that one can say that even we heard today in the Gospels, where Christ would praise even pagans for their faith in those who, don't, who didn't even believe in the Jewish religion. But there are also those who have never even heard of the gospel who will be to our condemnation on the last day because they, in a way, follow God's teachings because of their conscience. That's why St. Paul says that those who have not had the gospel preached to them, those who have not, who don't know Christ, 
who don't know the commandments will be judged according to their conscience because everyone has God's commandments within their soul. Some less, some more, depending on everyone's circumstances. But everyone will be judged according to their conscience. So let us not flatter ourselves and say, we are orthodox and we are the best or we are this or we are that, because on the last day we will be judged. And that's why when you read the gospel, as I said, you will find so many sections in there where Christ praised the pagans, the Samaritan woman. These people were not, were not of the Jewish religion. They were, either, they were either heretics or unbelievers. And I believe that because that happened then, and Christ being God is our example, then we have a taste of what's going to happen on the last day. That we will give word... For knowing the truth, for being baptised, for having the saints, for having the priests, for having the bishops, for having the Holy Communion, for having confession, for having Holy Unction, for having all the mysteries that the church has, having all the lives of saints as examples, having all the writings of the saints for our teaching, and living saints. We will give word, because we had that, and still, we didn't struggle for our salvation either. We did it haphazardly, that means slackly. In a, in a, because also negligence, some of you might not know, but negligence is also a sin when we, do, when we don't do things properly. Whether we don't read our prayers properly, whether we don't take care of our neighbour properly, when we don't care about something, when we do things in a, in a way which we make mistakes... These also things are, are a sin. So, on that last day, we will be asked why, if the Gospels were available, why, if the lives of saints were available, why, if the writings of the saints were available, the Holy Fathers, etc., why did we not read these things? Why didn't we pursue them? So I said, we're going to be asked that. Some heretics or even those who are not even believers may on the last day put us down because they actually did something better than us. But something else is going to put us down. And what's going to put us down is our ability, our thirst to gain knowledge of everything except for the holy orthodox faith. In other words, we have people who spend hours on the internet. We have people who spend hours watching television. We have people who watch, who read books, magazines, etc. Now, am I saying that's a sin? Some of it is, some of it's not. I'm not here to go into detail now which is and what's not. We can do that another time. But the main thing is that people do participate in this type of uh, this, um, zeal, that they've got this zeal and read everything. But not much about the soul. Why is that? Well, 
our souls, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, are inclined towards evil. As we, we, we read that in the prayers today of the, that the priest reads during the unction. That God knows that we are inclined towards evil, and we are inclined towards evil. Actually, evil, to do evil, to break the commandments of God, is easier than doing good, than doing the commandments. That's harder. So our soul, being corrupt and sick, is inclined towards doing the wrong thing. Even St. Paul, the great St. Paul, said, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. So he's saying, St. Paul's saying, what I want to do, which is the commandments of, of God, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I don't want to do certain things that are against the commandments of God, I do. So here, St. Paul is, 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 and he says, there's something working within me. And what's working within him and working within us is the fallen nature. And that's the purpose of, our, the purpose of being born on earth. The purpose of being born on earth is for us to struggle against this fallen nature and to make our nature, our souls, our, all, all our being, holy, to become godly. And that's why the church has given us the mysteries, and one of the mysteries was that what was done today, which is the holy unction service. Now, as I started from the beginning, that there is a lot of ignorance, and there's a lot of ignorance in the holy unction. Some believe that holy unction is only done if you're dying, which is a Western belief. And the Catholic Church, for example, they give holy unction as the last thing before someone dies. In the Orthodox Church, being that we have the correct teaching, and I don't say that in a boastful way, I say that in a way which is the truth. That the Orthodox Church does possess the correct teachings for everything. Holy unction, as it said today, what we heard while the reader read the epistles, said that when anyone among you is sick, let him call the presbyters, let him call the priests or the bishops. Presbyter is a Greek word, presbyteros, which means priest. Or bishop, let him call the priests, and let those let the priests pray over him or her, and then anoint that person with holy oil. And the Lord will raise them up, will make them, will heal them, and if they have sins, they will be forgiven. So we see two key things here: that the holy oil, the holy unction, is for two things. One healing of our body, of our sicknesses, and two, the healing of our soul. Well, how is our soul sick? What makes our soul sick, apart from the fallen nature that we've got? What makes our soul sick is sin. Depression and all these, a lot of problems today, all these come, uh, sorry, many of these, because some are biological, but many of these come from Sins. Today, sin is easy, as I said before. Well, we're, more, we're, we're inclined to sin, but the world, the way it's become, makes it easy for people to fornicate, for people to do adultery, 
for people to have access to pornography, for people to do abortions, for people to do whatever they want. It's so easy now. It's available. Before, if a woman wanted to have an abortion, for example, she had to go and find some backyard person. It was very difficult. She had to have money and find someone. Today, that's not necessary. It's legal, and you go to a clinic, you can go even during your lunch break, and then leave. And that's it. Supposedly, that's it. But those women have a lot of problems later, both physical, mentally, especially spiritual. So, sin today is easy. And it is the sin which is making us sick. And physically sick. But especially spiritually sick. Sin cuts us off from God. If you heard the press today, you would have heard that while the priest was reading the prayers, there was continual reference to forgive the sins, forgive the trespasses, grant remission both of their sins, both voluntary and involuntary, if they know it or don't know the sins. Continual reference to sin, 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 sin. Today, to be able to feel one's sins has just about diminished even among Orthodox Christians where it should be at its highest level because we have the church. This is not a good sign. If a person does not feel their sins, if a person feels that they are righteous in God's eyes, if a person says, I've got really nothing to repent of, then, as the Holy Fathers say, that person has lost themselves. It's, it's, in one of the references, it said there that Christ came not to call the righteous, but to call the unrighteous. Now, someone would say, but who's righteous? If everyone's born with sins, if everyone's got a sick soul, if everyone does problem, has, has problems, passions, then how can Christ say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who's he speaking about? I came not to call the righteous. That reference, if I'm correct, is in a way semi, and I won't use the word sarcastic because sarcastic is, uh, sarcasm is, um, is a horrible thing and God is not sarcastic. But in a way, it's like he's saying, he's saying, I came not to call those who believe that they're perfect. I didn't come for those who believe that they're holy. I came not for those who believe that they're healthy, in other words, which is no one, but I came to call those who are sinful, those who acknowledge their spiritual sickness. In other words, Christ is saying, no one is righteous. Everyone has need of the Saviour. Everyone has need of Christ. And those who don't believe they have need of healing, as I said before, are in great danger. Imagine, put yourself in a situation and say to yourself, imagine if I die, meaning myself or you, if I die with that spirit, with that sense that I am not a sinful person, that 
either God owes me because I'm so great or I don't need God. Imagine to die in a state like that. Do an off-life, not struggle, and after that, their relatives pray for them and do panahitas, like memorial prayers, or give alms for them and to uh, do 40-day liturgies, etc., etc., and think, not be saved. All our saints, all their life, would call out, Lord, have mercy. And our saints, remember, they wanted to have a Christian ending to their life, meaning they wanted to be conscious at their death. They wanted to be able to say, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me, grant me thy kingdom. I'm unworthy, but grant me thy kingdom. And that's why we say a Christian ending to our life, painless, blameless, peaceful, and a good defence before the judgment seat of Christ. Of course, there are examples of of um, people who die suddenly and there are examples of saints who actually died abruptly and may not have had time to say that but their whole life they continually said that and we don't know maybe they had a few seconds before their death to actually even call out a Lord have mercy we don't know all these things but the main thing is that the holy unction oil is for sick people. People who are sick bodily, but especially spiritual. If you have that sense that you are sick and that you need healing, then you approach the holy unction oil. If you don't have that sense, or if you are living a life which is forbidden by the church to participate in the mysteries, people living together, people that are committing adultery, all these things need confession. There are big sins and there are sins that we commit every day. Every day we look with our eyes, we might say something that's wrong, we judge with our minds, we have bad thoughts, those sins are every day. Even if you confess now, as soon as you go away, you'll sin again. And that's why the church says continually for holy water, for the holy unction, for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of what sins? What, for abortions? For, for adultery? What, for murder? Going to magicians? All these things need confession. St. Nicodemus says the everyday sins of a struggling Orthodox Christian. They will be forgiven. And that's the stage we have to get to, all of us, myself, yourselves. We have to get to the stage where we are continually calling out to God for mercy. Now, some might say, oh, that sounds very depressing. Or that sounds really uh, morbid. Like, it sounds horrible. And how can someone have such joy in this beautiful life if they have to continually be asking God for mercy? That's a stupid comment. And the reason why it's a stupid comment is it comes from people who are ignorant. Go and meet a, a saint, a saintly woman or a saintly man. Some of you have. And, and you'll notice that even though their life is a continual Lord have mercy, they have joy 
like Saint Seraphim of Sarov, that his face, his whole, everything about him radiated joy. And people from all over Russia went to visit him. People with mental illnesses, people with diseases, people with, that were possessed, people that were just not possessed but were, had problems with evil spirits, people with passions, people with problems, people with depression, people with every single thing ran to this man with his ragged clothes who continually prayed and asked God for mercy. And we, we've had saints from Serbia and saints from Greece, Elder Porfirios, Elder Paisios. Their whole life is Lord have mercy. Their whole life is calling out Lord have mercy. And yet everyone who had problems, depressions and all these problems all ran to them. And they had so much peace and joy and love within them these supposedly depressed people that people say, oh, how depressing it is to lead a spiritual life. These people were the people who gave grace that they had got from Christ to other people and gave them hope. And while we're on the subject, let's look at the lives of those who don't want to say, Lord, have mercy. Who think that it's such a, a depressing life. There are today, especially today, with all these joys that people have, cinemas, video games, every form of entertainment, sports, dancing, everything imaginable exists today, whether physically or mentally by watching stuff on television or videos, whatever. All these things are available No, Lord, have mercy, just those things. And yet, what do we see? The more people indulge in those things, the more the rates of depression, suicide, mental problems increase. Gadgets, games, makeup. Facelifts, plastic surgery to make women happy, steroids for the men to make them uh, big, they look like overgrown chickens. And everything imaginable exists, but yet we are living in the world during a time. Of the, of the most horrible levels of depression and mental illness. But yet, in the Second World War, yes, there was a horrible World War, the First World War, the Second World War, a lot of devastation. But you know, these, these disorders existed, but not to the level now. Now, some might say, oh, they didn't know about it. Well, my mother lived during the Second World War, and some of you probably did, the older ones here. She was 20, and she said the Germans came to the village and they killed people, etc. They had no food, they had no oil, they used to go and gather weeds to go and boil them to eat, they had no bread because the Germans stole, they had no eggs, they had this, they had no... And she said to me, I remember, she goes, so where does this depression come from? She says, I never heard of it. Never heard of it. Until 
in our times. So, yes, it did exist, but not to this level. So it looks like uh, even though these wars and diseases, etc., which are horrible, they're not the reason for depression, they're not the reason for disorders in our souls. Actually, they can help us because they make us trust more. When the, when the aeroplanes hit in America into the, tra- into the World Trade Center, the, those two buildings, and it was a horrible thing and a lot of children got disturbed that watched it and 3,000 lives were lost, etc. But yet, what happened? The churches became filled. People started going to church more. People started going to confession, even Catholics, whatever. People started believing more in God, reading the Bible. There was a, an increase in spiritual, spirituality. Those things can be useful. And that's why God allows those things. However, what is horrible... And what is very dangerous is when we keep sins within us. Jealousies, hate, envy, revenge, remembrance of wrongs. All these things make our souls sick. And as Orthodox Christians, what Christ wants from us, in other words, what God wants from us, is to struggle against our passions. To confess often, especially if we have sins that we have never confessed, serious sins, we need to get them out. And just a, and just a hint, just so to help you, when you go to confession, don't go to confession and start on little sins. The Holy Father say, don't do that. The Holy Father say, when you go to confession, the first sin you confess is the worst one. Once that big one comes out, then everything else starts flowing out. But when you start with little ones, you're just making the whole thing wrong. And at the end, you might not even say the big one anyway. Start off. You have your aim when you go into confession to say the worst one, whatever it is. Go to a priest who is a struggling priest. Go to a priest who is conscious of the salvation of the soul. Now, some of you might say, how can you say that? Are you saying that some priests are not? No, they're not. Some are not. We have to say the truth. Some wouldn't even know what the word means. And just like some doc, doctors, whether you go to um, the circus or whether you go to a doctor's surgery, it's the same thing because both won't be able to help you. There are doctors, doesn't matter if they've got their degrees, there are doctors out there that wouldn't even know how to treat a headache. And the same with priests. There are priests who unfortunately do not, do not work for the salvation of the soul. So why go? Find someone who you know is God-fearing, someone who you know understands sin, and never have the thought, if I go to the priest, he's going to look down at me. This is demonic. This is, this is completely from the devil. A conscious priest... A priest who is struggling himself will become even closer to you. When we have those thoughts, if I go and tell the priest, then he'll look at me in a different way, or he won't like me anymore, 
or he'll think of me as being bad. All this comes from pride. A conscious priest, when someone confesses the worst sin, whether it's murder or whatever sin, the worst sin, that priest becomes more attached to that person because, that, because at that time when the person's repenting and he's expressing his sins and God's grace comes down through the priest, God's grace comes through the priest to the person and grants forgiveness, then that priest becomes in a way a father. And that's what's meant by spiritual father. Some of us may not have experienced loving fathers, but the truth of the matter is that when you have a loving father, a father that will forgive you, your, your, your own father I'm talking about, that you know, you've, whatever a child does, you hear parents say, whatever my child does, I will forgive them. Well, if that's the case for worldly parents, how much more for the spiritual father who will be more open and more, and more close, united to the spiritual child who is confessing at that time. And if the spiritual father who is full of passions has that relationship with the spiritual children, how much more God who is our heavenly father who is pure, perfect without sin. The last thing I wanted to say is that a lot of us have not really experienced God as a father. The Jews in the Old Testament never referred to God as father. They never knew about it. The first time that they, this was heard was when Christ came. Never referred to, the, uh, to God as father. The Jews... What the religion of the Jews was that there was commandments, stern commandments, don't kill, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. That was the commandments. And looked at God as fearful. And in a way, that's the way God had to do it because in those, in those centuries, the, the, the Jews were rebellious, unspiritual, unprepared, so that's how it was. Stern, like a teacher. When a teacher goes to school, sometimes you can be kind to the kids. But some children take that as a sign of weakness and they jump on you. So you've got to be strict, use your discipline, use whatever you're going to use, and then after they calm them down and they develop, then you can show more feeling. But at the, sometimes you can't. Same as God, that's, that's what happens in the Old Testament. But when God came and became man in the New Testament, he introduced the whole new concept, the concept of God as a loving father. A lot of Orthodox Christians still live in Old Testament Jewish times. We still look at God as that fearful person. As, as soon as we sin, that God's out to get us, he's going to punish us, he's going to put us in hell, or he's going to... Well, all these things... And this is not the experience of the church. 
This is not the, the, the experience. This comes from people that, have, that are, have not got a correct spirit, a correct spirit towards God. St. Nicodemus says we have to balance God's compassion, how we look at God as forgiving, how he forgives everything, and how we look at God as judge. What happens to some is they look at God more as a judge. Those people, not, not good. That's not good for their salvation. If they just look at God as being a stern judge. The other people look at, look at God as compassionate. And they go and sin. They don't care. And they go, oh, God will forgive us. There are people, and St. Nicodemus does describe that, even amongst monastics, etc. People that say that God is so forgiving, which he is, that he will forgive whatever I do. And they go and sin. And they go, I'll go and confess it later. I'll repent later. And God will forgive. That's wrong as well. That's dangerous. Usually, St. Nicodemus says, those people have a very abrupt death and they don't even have time to repent. Some even say, oh, I'll repent before I die. Or I'll repent later. I'll sin today and I'll go and confess tomorrow. And St. Nicodemus says a lot of times those people die suddenly. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. We come in the middle. As Orthodox Christians, we look at God as a loving Father that, that, that's forgiving, which he is. And some, some of us have not experienced that yet. And, and that God is also just judge. However, we look at God uh, that we have to understand that in the last judgment that God will be just judge. Nothing else. There is no mercy, there's no compassion at the last judgment. It's finished. So, for us who are still alive, we have our chance. And for those that have gone to the next life, they need our prayers. But, on the last day, there will be no mercy, no compassion, we have to understand these things. Now today, I went through quite a few things for you, and I hope that that, that gave you um, spiritual benefit. Now I'm going to read the prayer of the gospel, which is a forgiveness prayer for those who have sinned, as I said, with sins of every day, not sins that need a priest's absolution where you have to go and say if you don't have those sins but you have everyday sins and you're struggling with them and you're sorry for them and you realize that you're sick and you realize that you have need of God's mercy etc etc then you come to the um, anointing people that are living in sin shouldn't get anointed obviously etc 